Discussing the commodities markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors, and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Commodity Watch Radio. I'm Dominic Frisbee and in today's program I talk to Erwin Olian, the head of Pan-African Mining. And I talk to Michael Hampton in Hong Kong about all the usual subjects, gold, silver, the dollar and commodities. A reminder of our disclaimer that nothing you hear in this program constitutes advice to buy or sell anything. It's just an expression of opinion only. And a reminder that companies do pay a fee to appear on the show. Not a lot, but without that fee, we wouldn't have that show. So, let's crack on with the show. Commodity Watch Radio at Mindsight.com I'm sitting now with Erwin Olian, who, like so many of the better CEOs in the mining game, is a true workaholic. He started out as a lawyer, trained at Harvard. From there, he moved into corporate finance. He became an entrepreneur. He launched two companies, both of which were 30 baggers or 30 plus baggers, both in the biotech sector. Is that right? And from there, he moved into junior mining, and he's now the president of two junior mining companies, Sacrocur Minerals and Pan-African Mining Corp, who we're going to talk about today. Now, Pan-African Mining are listed on the TSX. They're not to be confused with the Pan-African who are listed on our AIM market. They are two different companies. Is that that's right, Olian? That's right. The, the AIM-listed company is called Pan-African Resources. Uh, we're Pan-African Mining Corp. With, with a focus on Madagascar and Southern Africa. Good stuff. And, and you're, well, we'll give out the ticker of Pan-African. It's, it's yeah. PAF. We're PAF on the Toronto Stock Exchange Venture Board. Uh, we also trade on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange under the symbol P2A. Okay. Now, we're going to talk about Pan-African in detail in just a moment. But firstly, uh, Owen, let's just talk about the junior mining sector generally. It's, it's been a diff- difficult couple of months. I'd say it's been a difficult year uh, for most investors in junior mining stocks. Uh, essentially, the, the market topped out last February or March. It's been in a long, protracted decline, uh, which in the past two months uh, has accelerated uh, with a sense of panic now uh, taking hold of many investors with all of the continued bad news uh, from the mortgage sector, big banks. Uh, it seems like every day we turn on the television set or open an, a f- financial uh, page of a newspaper, there's more bad news in the headlines. So uh, it's been a, a, a difficult period, but at the same time, it's creating a, a lot of opportunity. I mean, why do you think, is it, is it driven by the bad news elsewhere? Is that what's, what's driving this, this, this downturn? Or? Because, I mean, the underlying commodities are doing so well. I think that there are a number of factors uh, that account for the weakness in uh, particularly the the junior mining shares and and the explorers uh, have been hit, hit of course, the hardest. Um, But uh, essentially, during the last uh, three to four years, the uh, junior resource sector has begun to become dominated by the large funds. Uh, funds from Canada, funds from the UK, funds from uh, Germany, S- Switzerland, and so forth. 
these funds uh, have taken the place of, of many retail investors in, in terms of their ability to dominate the marketplace and to uh, influence share price movements. Um, unfortunately, the funds, just like retail investors, tend to uh, operate with a herd mentality, uh, and uh, they started liquidating junior mining shares uh, a year ago and are continuing to do so uh, uh, today. But you said earlier it's created a lot of opportunity. I mean, I happen to agree. I, I think these things eventually are going a lot higher. Well, that's exactly right. Um, for those of us who've been watching markets for 10, 20, or 30 years, as I have, um, uh, I think we are well conditioned to the fact that uh, markets go through cycles. Um, typically, bear markets last anywhere from 6 to 15 months. Uh, we're in by my uh, calculation. We're already in the twelfth or thirteenth month. This is already becoming a relatively long bear market. Uh, I think that many of the junior mining shares have now reached prices that uh, are very attractive on a long-term basis. Uh, from the standpoint of Pan African Mining Corp., uh, I feel that we are far below fair value, uh, and. It is therefore uh, uh, presenting a great opportunity to get into a highly undervalued situation. Uh, and uh, I like to say that uh, one person's uh, misfortune becomes another person's good fortune. So for those who are um, uh, selling at uh, these exceedingly undervalued prices uh, for reasons of personal liquidity or fund liquidity, out of fear, panic, mm -hmm. whatever these, these reasons may be. Uh, at this point, they, they typically have nothing to do with the fundamentals of the companies, uh, nothing to do with certainly the fundamentals of Pan-African Mining Corp. And uh, this is, is permitting new people to get, uh, to get involved at prices mm -hmm. that otherwise would not be available. And, I mean, why aren't we seeing more takeovers? I think that... that I can say from the standpoint of our own company, we've certainly seen a surge in uh, interest by the majors. Uh, we had uh, three site visits uh, in the last week alone mm -hmm. in, in Madagascar to several of our different properties. We have a lot of requests pending for site visits. Uh, I'm not suggesting that that is going to, to effectively lead to a, a takeover, yeah. but I am suggesting that uh, the value now represented by, by our company, as well as other mm. uh, juniors who succeeded in putting together excellent property portfolios, yeah. good assets in the ground, if you will, uh, those values are starting to be recognized throughout the industry. And it is likely to uh, uh, lead to increased interest in these companies. Mm -hmm. Now let's let's turn to Pan African. Let's uh, let's start off with a quick overview of the company. What what's your market cap? Uh, our, right now, Pan African is trading uh, between 175, 185 Canadian. Mm -hmm. We are down from a high of 359. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, uh, we went public at a dollar uh, just over three years ago, so we're still very comfortably above our IPO price. And 
we feel that this is creating a time of uh, terrific opportunity for those mm. willing to sally forth and and uh, pick up some shares. Okay, how many shares are outstanding? There are 26 million shares outstanding, uh, which in effect creates a market cap of around 45 million Canadian dollars. Okay, and how much cash have you got? We've got three million dollars, and Canadian presumably. Correct. Or, yeah. and our monthly burn is between three and four hundred thousand a month. Okay, so you've got another year or so before you have to raise any more money. That's right. And have you got warrants outstanding? We have warrants outstanding as well, which could be exercised at some point, depending upon price m movement in our right. shares. Um, the, uh, typically, we don't initiate money raises. Uh, we have 12 or 15 funds who have been uh, supporting us well. Uh, very often we get inquiries from new funds as to whether or not uh, we would do a funding to let them mm -hmm. get positioned. Um, in fact, right now, uh, we've had several of those inquiries. Some of the funds recognize we're very cheap right yeah. now. Um, we are trading slowly. Uh, we're well set for the moment. Our results are from our three properties being drilled are all favorable. Yeah. In fact, we just announced uh, excellent drill results from our uranium project yep, I saw this those. morning. Yeah. So, uh, we're in no rush to raise money at the low here, but uh, uh, we'll see how things evolve in the coming year. Okay. Now, um, why don't you give us an overview of the, the projects that you have? I mean, I know you're very active in Madagascar, um, but uh, tell us about your properties, the stage they're at, uh, where you're going to go from there. Uh, Pan-African Mining Corp. Uh, has adopted a business model which is somewhat unique among juniors. Um, we... Uh, went into Madagascar five or six years ago when the new government of Mark Bravo Manana uh, came into power through a democratic election. We saw a real opportunity in Madagascar because it's one of the most mineral-rich environments in the world. Mm -hmm. And with the new government coming in as a catalyst to uh, effectively uh, welcoming foreign capital and foreign investment and a new mining code, uh, we were the proverbial first guy in line at the claims office when the doors opened. Okay. Uh, so with that first mover advantage, we uh, claimed 22 different properties, which were the result of a very extensive survey with six geologists of the entire mineral base of the company of the country, rather. The country. Uh, yeah. And uh, we uh, chose among those 22 three important properties to develop. Uh, and those are the Sokoa Coal Deposit, the Tranamara Uranium Deposit, and the Mountain of Gold Project in Davalava. Okay. Each of those three projects is in active development with drilling underway on all three. Uh, the other projects in Madagascar are undergoing various stages of grassroots exploration. We're trying to uh, effectively move those forward so they can be drillable in the near future. But the focus is to take these three projects to really add value uh, and move these to the resource stage and to the feasibility stage as quickly as we can. How far off that are you at the moment? Uh, we're well on our way. Particularly the coal project is looking uh, outstanding. Uh, we are, uh, we've, got, we've now targeted a very large uh, exploration target of, of 650 million tons of coal. Uh, we've got two drills working on the property. We what type of coal is that? It's thermal coal Okay. for power plants and such. And the coal is, we've done some preliminary tests on the coal. 
We believe it will be comparable to the Richards Bay coal being exported out of South Africa to the uh, world market. Uh, you know, relatively, uh, uh, relatively good coal with a reasonable ash content, reasonable caloric content. This coal is going to need to be beneficiated, that means washed, uh, in order to take out impurities, particulate uh, matter, uh, and we're assessing the cost at, at the cleaning at approximately three to four dollars per ton right. shipped. Now, what is coal currently selling for? Well, coal has been selling in the hundred dollar range per ton uh, recently, with some quotes as high as one hundred and thirty dollars out of Richards Bay. Uh, I noted the. Uh, Financial Post in Canada recently had a headline about a week ago uh, that they anticipated coal prices to hit $200 a ton uh, in the next 24 months. So uh, among the commodities, it, it certainly appears that coal is the hottest in the marketplace right now. The Chinese uh, have a voracious appetite for coal to fund the um, steel mills and, mm -hmm. and uh, economic growth over there. And what do you estimate your cash costs to be, or is it too early to, to, to make that guess? Um, we've been doing some work on this, and we're estimating production costs uh, of approximately $25 a ton, plus uh, the, the, one of the advantages of the Sequoia coal deposit... And does that include the washing? No. Okay. That's just the production cost of the coal. Yeah. Uh, uh, we are about 100 kilometers from the ocean, which is actually quite close, if you think, it, mm -hmm. when you consider it, uh, Madagascar is 1,400 kilometers from one end to the other, right. and 1,000 kilometers across. So uh, the shipping cost is going to be 8 to 10 cents per kilometer per ton, so that means we're looking at about $8 to ship, uh, plus uh, the $25 cost, that um, you can add, uh, let's say, $4 for the beneficiation. And uh, at that point, uh, we're looking at, f say, 42 to $45 uh, a ton. If you want to allow 20% room for error, you're, mm -hmm. you're hitting $50 a ton, which still leaves a very handsome profit margin. Uh, and... Uh, so we are going to try to move this project to feasibility as quickly as we can. Uh, it's certainly one of the l larger deposits in the world that uh, uh, is unattached by with one of the majors at this time. The coal price, it's not like, it, there isn't a spot price, it, it's, it's less based volatile. On contract. It's yeah. based on contract. What the buyer is willing to pay and what the seller is willing to sell it for. Okay. It's a matter of private negotiation on, a, on, a, on that basis. And is and this the, your project that, that you've had the interest in, or has it been in your uranium we've project? We've had interest in all three of our major projects, which is great. We've had, uh, there's, a, there's significant interest in our uranium projects, uh, specifically the Tranamaro is our big one. Uh, there's interest in the Mountain of Gold, and, and there's interest in Sequoia Coal. Are you allowed to say who that interest is from? I don't think it would be appropriate. Okay. I think it's fair to say there are well-known companies uh, that have had excellent records uh, and, and have other coal operations in place that, that are seriously uh, interested in, dis in discussing a relationship with Pan-African. Okay. I mean, what's the ideal thing for Pan-African? Some kind of joint venture or to, to sell that asset off? Or? Um, the ideal short-term target is for us to continue on with our development. We're really excited about the project. 
uh, when the right partner, potential partner comes along with a deal that uh, creates a, an appropriate valuation on the property, then we're going to pursue serious discussions uh, and that will lead either to a joint venture or, or a sale. And how many years away from, from production would you say? Uh, we need 18 months to 24 months of, to, to drill this out. Then we need a year for feasibility. We could start building the, the plant at the end of the third year. Okay. And we think uh, there's a lot of work that has to be done, uh, a lot of analysis. Um, the people seem to think if the passage of time alone is going to make it happen, and that's not the case. No. It's, uh, we're looking at 15,000, uh, I'm sorry, 50,000, we're looking at 50,000 meters of drilling uh, that is slated. Uh, we're going to be bringing on three or four additional drill rigs so that we can ramp up and, and get this done on a, on a timely fashion. Okay, now let's talk about your other two projects, the uranium and the gold project. Uh, our uranium project in uh, Tranamaro continues to uh, generate excellent drill results. It was, uh, it's next to an old mine, is that right? Um, we are in a region uh, around the village of Tranamaro that was mined by the French Commissariat à l'Energie Atomique, that's the French CEA, mm -hmm. uh, from the 1930s into the 1950s. Essentially, the French went in, they scraped off all the high-grade surface deposits, uh, moving from one to the next. They, they effectively created over 50 quarries and small mines in this region in Madagascar. We have gone in, we have spent two years studying the whole regional geology, identifying all the old French sites, doing a lot of sampling, trenching, mapping, radiometric studies, uh, and other work. Uh, and as a result of that, we've now identified over 100 drill targets throughout this, this region, which is several hundred square kilometers. We started drilling with a big uh, core drill at old French mine number 37, which was just one of many of these. We've now completed 11 holes Every hole has exhibited uh, mineralization that looks excellent, uh, certainly above cutoff. The, the grades have been ranging from a low of just over one pound per ton of U308 up to as high as 11 pounds per ton of U308. To give you an idea of what that rock would be worth, uh, it's, you can just think of U308 uh, trading now between 75 and $100 uh, a pound, so uh, one and a half pounds of U three hundred eight is worth about one hundred twenty five to one hundred fifty dollars per ton. That rock, some of our rock was was over a thousand dollars a ton in value. Comparing that to gold, that's an ounce and a half of gold almost. So, uh, um, essentially, this is good high grade uranium, and uh, we have been finding excellent accumulations around and below the old French mm -hmm. pits where we drilled. Uh, we also have a number of other anomalies uh, that are targeted for the future. So uh, it's a, it's a long-term program to investigate a whole regional uh, system of uh, uranium. In this case, uh, the uranium is in the form of uranothorionite, uh, which is uh, situated in bands of peroxinite, mm -hmm. which is the host rock. And uh, through a chemical process, we're going to separate the uranium out from the 
uranothorionite. That's what the French did, and then they shipped the uranium back to France to uh, fuel their uh, home nuclear power industry. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about the gold project. Mountain of Gold, uh, so named by the local people that call it Vohibolamina, which means the Mountain of Gold, the reason being that they have uh, had an artisanal uh, industry now for over 100 years. Two whole villages have been supported just living off gold taken from this mountain of gold. Mm. And we have been drilling on an ongoing basis in a zone called Dabalava East, uh, generating excellent high-grade gold. Um, for instance, 5.5 meters of 51 uh, grams per ton, uh, 12 meters of 14 grams, uh, 17 meters of, of 4 grams. Uh, it goes on and on like this. Uh, you, you can find our drill results posted on our website. Um, essentially, we are now creating a structural model for Dabalava East. We're looking to start excavation tunnels and test mining there uh, sometime later this year. But the big opportunity at Dabalava is the Mountain of Gold trend, which we've now outlined for 8.5 kilometers. We just completed a sophisticated induced polarization study on the ground, covering an, an important portion of this area. We are, we've compared the geochemical sampling results from our surface samples with the uh, results of the geophysics survey, and that has now uh, created eight new zones for drilling and evaluation. Uh, these look highly prospective. They look like they may have more potential than the Davalava East zone where we've been drilling to date. Um, in addition to the, in addition to the uh, high-grade targets we're finding in Davalava East, there appear to be large bulk deposits of low-grade uh, throughout the Davalava region in the Mountain of Gold project area. Uh, these would, would be presenting themselves as heap leaching targets uh, of considerable size. How many years do we see any production? We have a choice to make. Uh, the choice is whether we want to start a smaller scale operation just in the Dabalaba East zone uh, or whether we want to wait to delineate a much bigger regional resource and a big uh, set up a large regional project. I think at this point uh, the, the idea of generating cash flow to fund the company's entire operations is appealing to us. Uh, also, the Madagascar government would love to see us get into production sooner rather mm -hmm. than later. As a result of that, uh, we have brought out a specialist from Australia, a mining engineer, who specializes in the exact type of deposit we've got here, which is a narrow vein, high-grade mm -hmm. deposit with, with some discontinuities. And uh, uh, he's going to try to de design a, a mining program for us in the coming months. Okay. And... Um and the uranium project, again, we're looking at several years. I presume several years. Okay, I not mean, decades. Years. Okay, I mean, presumably it's easier to put a from a regulatory point of view. It's easier to put a uranium mine into production in Africa than it is in North America. Is uh, well, I, th I think that uh, it's particularly easy in the case of our uh, Tranamara project because it's in a uh, an arid desert wasteland kind of area. There are no trees and forests. Uh, no animal life to speak of that's uh, going to be uh, disrupted. There's no general habitation. There's, okay. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a very isolated area. I think that is the key. Yeah. It, uh, 
Madagascar is an environmentally sensitive country. We take every precaution. Uh, let me just address this for a moment yeah. because it's very important. Um, our resident manager, Fafa, Fafa Rambwa Salam, uh, is a, an environmental engineer, very highly regarded in Madagascar. He's managed public works projects in the country for 15 years. And in fact, he had been a presidential appointee. He managed the Masawala National Park, which is Madagascar's largest nature reserve. So we've got a highly talented, highly respected environmentalist acting as our uh, effective resident manager in Madagascar, ensuring that we have full compliance with, this, with state-of-the-art environmental procedures. And I can say with uh, certainty, to date, every place we've worked, when we leave, it looks better than before we arrive. <laughs> we do a lot of planting, we do leveling, we, we, do, we do it right. Okay. And um, uh, this is a, a critical aspect of uh, um, why we've achieved as much as we've achieved to date and, and why we are confident uh, we're going to be able to move toward production without a lot of uh, interference. Okay. Now, let me. I've got a couple of questions to ask you um, uh, quickly because we're, we're running a bit uh, low on time. Um, firstly, the... Let me ask you about the infrastructure at these various projects. Power, water, roads, any serious problems? Um, each, each project has its, its own challenges. Um, let's talk about each one very briefly. Okay. The Dabalava Mountain of Gold project uh, is only seven hours from the uh, international airport of the capital city on a paved road probably the best road in Madagascar. Okay. So we've got excellent access. We've got a very good river system that uh, passes right through the project area, providing ample water on an annual basis. Uh, power is an issue. We have to generate our own power. Uh, Would well, you use diesel or something? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, on a longer-term basis, um, there is a town, Meandravazo, that has power not too far away, 30 clicks. So uh, we'll, we'll evaluate that as we move forward. But uh, basically, very favorable conditions. Sokoa Coal Project uh, uh, is, as I said, only 100 kilometers from the coast. We're anticipating building a very straight road, no, no mountains, no bridges, yep. to get us to the coast for good access. Uh, and there is a big airport at Tuliar, uh, which is another uh, 50 kilometers to the north um, on the on the the uh, uh, road along the coast. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to have pretty good access there. Once the road is built, it'll be excellent. Uh, there's water much of the year, but for a couple months it does become dry there. And uh, with respect to the Tranemar Uranium Project, have you? What about the power at the coal project? We have to generate our own power. Okay. Uh, similarly. Tranamaro, very similar profile. Good water in the rivers. Uh, essentially, uh, there's a road system in place. It needs to be upgraded to be ideal. Uh, and uh, uh, But no immense challenges. Okay. Are there any issues getting diesel into Madagascar? Is it freely available there? Oh, there's, there's, there's ample fuel in Madagascar. Okay. Total Presum Petroleum, a lot okay. of the, the big French companies are... are Servicing Madagascar readily. Okay, and presumably uh, labor is pretty cheap there. 
Madagascar, sadly, is one of the seven poorest countries in the world. Is it? I didn't which, realize. And the per capita income is quite low. Uh, we are paying people two and three and four times what they otherwise would be making, mm -hmm. but it's still you know, a relatively modest uh, labor cost compared to what we might see in Canada or uh, in more developed countries. In London. London. <laughs> we won't even talk about London. What about um, the... Uh, I'm just interested to know what is the cheapest country in the world if... if, if uh, sorry, what is the poorest country in the world if Madagascar is in the bottom seven? You know, I, I'm not sure what it is. I mean, there... It's going to be Chad or somewhere... Sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. Um, let me ask you about the um, kind of geopolitical risk of... of I mean, you, you pointed out it's a democratic um, country before. Um, the, the good Madagascar went to a democratic form of government with free elections uh, in 2002. Um, the good news is I believe that the populace at large uh, is essentially... Uh, very strong in favor of the dem democratic process. You know, you don't have fighting militias here, and uh, essentially, uh, it's a very safe, safe place with um, that's that's fully espoused this whole democratic ideal. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark Ravalomanana has received favorable grades from uh, most of the leaders around the world uh, for. His efforts to move the company, the uh, country of Madagascar, forward in mm. a positive way—they've attracted a tremendous amount of capital. Right now, you've got Rio Tinto with a huge mineral sands project underway. You've got Sherat, uh, which had acquired Dynatex interest in the Ambatavi, the, the, the three billion dollar nickel project. These projects are moving ahead because Madagascar is now becoming a very hospitable environment. Uh, it's a miner-friendly environment. Okay. So. I Do they have a history of nationalizing Western companies? Or? Uh, none that I'm aware of, and it hasn't happened. And I think uh, there's no likelihood of, of, uh, of that taking place in the future. Uh, I think that the government is now strong enough to move forward uh, on an ongoing basis. Uh, I think Mark has done a, an admirable job uh, moving it forward to this point, and um, when he eventually uh, steps aside and his uh, term is over, uh, I expect there'll be a smooth continuity of government to a new, new leadership. Okay. Now, um, just uh, quickly uh, tell us about uh, your key personnel. Um, we are fortunate. We've been able to attract uh, a strong stable of uh, expatriate uh, geologists and mining engineers. Mm -hmm. In fact, we, we feel it's second to none in the world. Uh, each one of our major projects uh, is headed up by a very talented uh, expatriate geologist with 20 to 30 years' experience and very strong credentials. Uh, a few examples of our nickel project, which unfortunately we haven't had a chance to talk about yeah. today, uh, is, is, is uh, headed up by Roger Billington. He used to run the uh, laterite nickel exploration for Falcon Bridge for, for many years. Um, our diamond program... Which, which incidentally we haven't mentioned, but we've got some excellent diamond prospects in Botswana and Namibia, which we're working on, as well as our Madagascar diamond projects. Uh, is uh, that program is run by Dr. Andy Moore, 
they call him the king of the Kalahari. He's been working in Botswana for almost 25 years, PhD from Cape Town, one of the top diamond geochemists in the world. Uh, we've got, he's joined by Dr. Eddie Schiller of uh, Ikati fame in Canada, as well as uh, Dr. Felix Kaminsky, Russia's chief diamond geologist for a number of years in Moscow. They're all on our diamond team. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the Tranemar Uranium Project is being run by Dr. Reinhard Ramdor from Germany, one of Germany's top geologists, PhD, 30 years experience from the University of Heidelberg. Um, our Mountain of Gold Project is being run by Marty Archambault, 25 years experience, very talented Canadian geologist. In addition, uh, we've got uh, uh, Andrew Good coming over from Australia with 30 years experience. Uh, our coal project is fortunate to have Mark Stewardson at the helm. Mark is one of the UK's leading coal geologists. Again, 25 years experience. Mark has developed projects all over the world, taking them from startup to production. So adding adding to the strength of our team is our wonderful group of Malagasy geologists. We have 42 trained, degreed Malagasy geologists who are spread over our different programs, uh, working uh, with the under the leadership of these strong expatriate uh, managers. Okay, well, excellent stuff. Um, I'm going to ask you a, a couple of quick questions before we close, Erwin, and you've got to answer them in less than a minute. Will uh, do. Firstly, uh, the diamonds in Botswana. This is creating quite a bit of interest. Um, we're not a diamond exploration company per se, but Andy Moore identified uh, a very prospective area where there is a concurrence of geochemical data with uh, geophysics data. We now have 113 targets that appear to be kimberlite pipes. They certainly have the all of the signatures of kimberlites. We're now we've now got to get on these and start to drill later this year. It's in uh, uh, an area in western Botswana, uh, and we also have a similar area in Namibia. We think it's related to the same play, and. Uh, Botswana, as you know, is the world's leading producer of diamonds, so we're in the right place with these uh, with these prospects. Okay, question number two. There are a heck of a lot of junior mining companies out there. Why should I buy Pan-African? I think we've got three terrific projects, all of which are moving toward production. Um, the stock is tremendously undervalued. Any one of these projects justifies a market cap in excess of, of what the entire company is trading for. And beyond that, I think we have a, a very unique business model. Namely, we've created a whole portfolio of assets across the mineral spectrum, 22 projects in Madagascar, plus four gold projects in Mozambique, plus some exciting diamond prospects in Botswana and Namibia. Uh, what what we've done in the last five years essentially is to uh, try to identify and secure for the benefit of our shareholders a long-term legacy uh, that uh, is going to add value for decades to come as these projects move toward production uh, in, in years ahead. But we've started with three that are highly visible. They have excellent uh, uh, potential with very little, if any, environmental issues. They have good access, uh, and we've put some of the top geologists uh, in the world on these projects to, to help ensure their success. Okay. And uh, one last question. There are very many commodities out there from, I don't know, wheat to cotton to gold to oil. Which single commodity are you most bullish on? 
Um, I'd have to say that for the near term, uh, I think that the upward pressure on the price of coal is extreme. Uh, I think we're looking at potentially $200 coal relatively soon. Um, the demand from Asia is uh, insatiable. Uh, I can tell you we've gotten inquiries from every Asian country about our, our deposit, about acquiring uh, output from our production. Uh, the, there is no uh, end in sight to the uh, need for thermal coal and as well as coking coal. So I, when I think you say when you say you've had inquiries from Asian mm. countries, is this uh, companies or or uh, actual governments? In some cases, uh, it is companies. In some cases, it's governments. Often, it is government agencies. Uh, and but uh, typically, what we find uh, are a lot of large multinational corporations. Uh, that are headquartered in these places that are now looking for sources of supply of coal. Okay. Well, the company is Pan-African Mining Corp. There you go. Pan-African Mining Corp. It is listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol PAF and also on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange under the symbol... The symbol on Frankfurt is P2A. It is not to be confused with Pan-African Resources who are listed here on the AIM market... The website is... Our website is www.panafrican.com. There you go, panafrican.com. Owen Olean, thank you very much. Thank you. I really enjoyed uh, our visit. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisbee. Michael Hampton is talking to me now from his office in Hong Kong. Hello, Mike. Hi, Dominic. How are you doing? These are exciting times. They are indeed. I mean, I'm sitting here as I speak to you, and I'm looking at uh, some charts showing the U.S. dollar and some other indicators. And as we speak, we're looking at the weakest dollar ever. Um, the U.S. dollar index right now is 74 spot 34 which I believe to be the lowest level level that it's ever seen. Uh, I'm looking at um, a British pound of around $2, and I'm looking at euro of 0.6639. Actually, that's the dollar in euros at 0.6639, which is, uh, again, the weakest dollar we've ever seen against the euro. Goodness me. Uh, you mentioned the British pound there. I mean, I kind of think the pound is so weak, and then and even the pound's strong against the dollar. <laughs> well, yeah, it's an interesting point, actually. You know, I think we're in a period now where we're going to see short periods where the pound is weaker than the dollar, interspersed for periods where the dollar is weaker than the pound. But, I mean, I think these are the, you know, the two twins of weak currencies at the moment. James Turk said it was the weakest currency in the world after the dollar. Yes, that's a good way to put it. That makes perfect sense. But, I mean, we're also seeing gold uh, at this moment as we speak is at 960. It's up about $11. And uh, I think there's a reasonable chance that it's on its way to uh, $1,000 and higher in the immediate future. Um, so we're at it at a very interesting time. Uh, in fact, some of the readers of GEI and some other threads may know that uh, 
There is a thread out there called Charts, uh, Chart Point Situation Critical, which uh, talks about some of these chart patterns. And uh, I think, you know, anybody who listens to this podcast might want to go back and look at that chart because it was originally posted on the 24th of February. And it really says um, that it looks like this could be a big week coming. And indeed, I think that's exactly where we are. We're at a very critical point. Uh, there's some good forecasters out there who are uh, regularly interviewed on Financial Sense, uh, Tim Wood and Frank Barbera, who are talking about a rally in the dollar and a top in commodities. And uh, their interview, which is very interesting and well worth a listen, uh, was really what prompted me to look at some of these charts and start this thread. And I think the point that I was making in the thread was that we were at a pretty critical point and that this week we were either going to see a turn or a break. And that turn was, was going to be, uh, you know, an upturn in the dollar and a downturn in some of the other uh, indices like commodities. And the charts I posted were, first and foremost, this, the CRB index, which at the time was uh, approaching $400. Um, and, and the idea was that either that was going to turn there around $400 or head higher. Um, I had a chart on WTI crude, which was up uh, around $100. It was just below $100. Uh, I had gold, which at the time was around $950. It's higher than that now. And I had the U.S. dollar, which at the time was at uh, it was about $74. Um, so we've actually broken down below that to, to fresh lows, the lowest levels ever for the U.S. dollar. And finally, as a kind of bellwether, I had copper and euros. And I think we're at a very interesting point right now because uh, Ben Bernanke is going to speak later today in front of Congress. And this will be, you know, maybe the last chance for him to surprise the markets and uh, tell the world that we're not, uh, we're not going to see rate cuts in March. If he does that, then we may get the turn that Tim and Frank Barbera, Tim Wood and Frank Barbera were talking about. Um, if, if, uh, as I expect, um, Mr. Bernanke fails to surprise everyone, but if instead what he does is uh, does what, what I expect him and probably quite a lot of others expect him to do, which uh, if, he, uh, if he talks tough about inflation but uh, hints that uh, strongly that we're going to see another rate cut, uh, then I think this trend of a weaker dollar is going to continue. And we're going to see a, you know, maybe a pretty sharp break in the dollar here. And we're going to see gold move up towards a thousand and some of these other commodities continue to soar higher. I have to say it's amazing. I mean, I've been reading for the last two years bullish case after bullish case for commodity after commodity. And I mean, it's really happening in a big way. I just look at, been looking at the screen, all the grains, wheat, Barley, corn, all going up. Cotton has broken out. Coffee has broken out. Sugar is in an uptrend. Palladium, nothing seems to be stopping palladium at the moment. Um, silver, silver has gone virtually parabolic in the last few days. We are in a proper commodities bull market. Yes, we are, and uh, you know that. You know that Jim Jim Dines has this concept of the wolf pack where um, lots of things that are related to each other are all running at the same time. And that's what's happening with commodities, hard, softs, energy, precious metals. They're all running right now. And this is really a reflection of all the liquidity that's pouring into the market. 
And uh, that's why I think Bernanke is really the key man here because, um, you know, I think everybody realizes that he's, you know, sort of got himself in a box here. Whereas, you know, if he, if he doesn't pump, then the U.S. is headed into some very tough t- times financially. Um, so, you know, the market kind of sees his box and they realize that the way to, uh, the way to stay ahead of the game and ahead of possible inflationary forces is, is, to, is to buy commodities. Um, you know, the, the old problem is that when a bubble bursts, uh, such as the housing bubble has burst now, um, and, and people try and, you know, save the, the assets that are hit by that bubble, the money doesn't go back into the old bubble, it goes somewhere else. And that somewhere else is all the commodities you've been talking about. The juniors, they seem to be turning. Yes, well, um, I think, you know, people here who listen to this regularly will know that I've been using the CDNX as a uh, proxy for the juniors. Um, that was up uh, a little bit higher. It's around current levels, actually, a little bit lower at the beginning of the year, and it uh, dropped from twenty near 2,700, I think, to 2,400. It was a pretty sharp drop, and I think a lot of us got worried um, but it made a nice double bottom there around 2400 Now we're back to 2700 So, um, you know, this is a pretty interesting level, too, for the CDNX. Um, if it gets a push from higher gold prices um, and sentiment of going back into junior miners, you know, we may see that move up pretty fast towards, you know, hundreds of points, 28, 29, even 3,000 here pretty quickly. That's very possible. Well, that would be nice. That would be nice. And, um, yeah, but now let's let's talk a little bit about um, how to play this because I think there are a lot of people uh, who who probably have uh, jumped on the uh, mining stock bandwagon and on the gold bandwagon, and I might uh, just talk a little bit about how I'm planning to play this. Uh, first of all, I think we have to be ready for there is a possibility that Bernanke will surprise us and do more than talk tough but actually act tough. Um, there is that chance. So if we see that, we may be uh, having a turn at hand. But barring that, if we see a move up, you know, and if we do see that, by the way, then, uh, you know, I think we'll have to do some damage control here within the next few days. Um, I'm pretty fully invested, so I'm not expecting that. Uh, I don't have any debt. I did have a little bit of debt a few weeks ago. I've now uh, sold enough uh, of my juniors that have moved up, and some of them have moved up quite smartly in the last two weeks, to uh, reduce my my position down to where I have a little bit of cash. But uh, I'm virtually fully invested, probably close to 98 or 99%. Um, but now if, if we see gold shoot up towards $1,000 and higher, how are we going to play this? Well, my theory is that, you know, uh, I should take some money off the table if we see gold hit $1,000. Um, so I will be selling, maybe lightly to start with, into strength uh, as gold goes up and tests a thousand and maybe runs through it. Um, I like to see those cash levels come up because as we were talking before the show, um, and I think this is a very interesting point you made before the show about the duration of these moves, and I, I wonder if you could repeat what you were saying before. Well, I've been saying it for a long time, Mike, is that uh, the the gold and silver market, specifically gold and silver, seem to shoot up in, they have kind of six to nine month moves. And 
this move from August 2007 to now has been an almost exact replica of the move from that we saw from uh, in in 2005-2006. Now, the move in 2005-2006 began on September the 1st. That was the low. And we saw the high in about May. I think it was May the 9th we saw the high. And in that time, silver more than doubled. And uh, I, I, I don't know how much gold went up, but it eventually hit a high. Well, of I actually have... Sorry to interrupt, but I have the figures in front of me here. I see gold... Uh, I'm looking at the chart right now. I see gold somewhere around 4... Uh, 125 maybe when that move started and it finished with gold at 730 spot 40. Exactly, okay. and, and it was a it was a, a basically about a 75 percent move. Yes, and the the first wave uh, saw a high in the 2005-2006 move. We saw a kind of intermediate high uh, in December at 540 in gold, and that was about a 35 yeah. percent move. And we saw the same in silver. Um, Exactly this this move in 2007-2008 began in on uh, about August the 16th. That was the low. And we saw an intermediate high uh, in silver just below $16 and in gold at eight fifty um, in November. And after which we got a pullback. And that was a 35% move. And so if we get the full 75% move and the, and the double in silver, we'll see $22 to $25 silver by mid April, and we'll see twelve hundred, eleven fifty, twelve hundred gold by mid April. And at the moment, we're on course for that. But you know, we got a nasty a, correction afterwards. Yes, yes. Well, I think those are very interesting targets, and uh, you know, I would treat those with uh, some respect. But I wouldn't necessarily wait for those exact figures uh, to. You know, I would sell into strength here a little bit because. Uh, you know, we we may see this gold move pay, peter out, you know, quite a bit before twelve hundred. Um, yeah, but let's so talk about. Can I yeah. just say one thing? The big difference sure. between two thousand and five, two thousand and six, and now, is that the stock market, the overall stock market, was a lot stronger then, and yes. possibly as a consequence, the juniors were a lot stronger. The juniors have been weaker on this move. Yeah, well, that's an interesting point, and. Uh, in a way, that might be, uh, you know, because I, th I think there's still quite a lot of skepticism amongst the retail investors about gold. And I think one thing that, you know, various people have been talking about for a long time is that at some point, um, the retail uh, investor will come into the gold, gold shares market. And a logical place for that move to start would be, you know, around $1,000 on the gold price. So if we see a move to a thousand and up to eleven or twelve hundred, that might uh, correspond with you know the retail investors rediscovering gold shares. Mm. And it, you know if that happens, we're going to see a pretty a pretty huge move in uh, in gold shares as that happens. I, I can't guarantee we're going to see that, but I mean that's certainly a logical explanation. But I mean, let's come back to that retracement because I've got, you know, in front of me here as we're speaking, I've got the chart showing that retracement period. And my chart shows a, a peak of gold at 730 and then a pretty rapid drop down to 542 and then a rally back uh, to 676 and then another drop back to 563. Mm -hmm. So a sort of ABC move. Um, and then gold gradually worked its way back up to 700 before it took off again. 
That's, That's right. what I see here on the chart. But uh, anyway, so if we're going to repeat that sort of move, then we might see uh, gold hit 1,000, 1,100, 1,200, something like that, and then pull back to, I don't know, 900, 950, 1,000, some number like that, and then have a, you know an ABC move down. I would yeah. have thought a likely point would be 850. Well, I, I, I think that's a very likely point because... 850 was the level uh, which represented the high back in 1980-81. So why not? That represents very strong, uh, it was very strong resistance. We've gone above it. And it ought to be very strong support on the way down. So anyway, I think the point is that if we see a parabolic move in silver and gold, it's time to head for the exits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of your some of your, uh, your gold and silver shares. Um, I wouldn't sell all of them. But you might want to raise a comfortable amount of cash, 20, 30, 40, 50% cash uh, might be a very good idea if we see a parabolic move here because uh, there'll be other opportunities uh, in investing that cash uh, in these same markets or in other markets. So um, although I'm very optimistic and I hope a lot of listeners are on for this ride, you know, I'm not saying people should be betting the ranch on this move continuing for very long. Well, Silver has gone parabolic. I think uh, it will continue to do so for a few more dollars, but nevertheless, it's it's broken out. Well, silver, I think, is uh, you, you know taking uh, back its traditional role of leading gold, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, and also its uh, its role of moving late in the run. If you look at the silver to gold ratio, it's suddenly gone below fifty. The silver to gold ratio is spiking. Well, that's interesting because another thing that we see in in late, typically see in a late stage of a gold move is we see uh, we see the juniors run mm-hmm. um, as you know the the retail trade discovers the market. So um, maybe that's the second shoe that needs to drop before this market you know goes into a correction. Yeah, um, it's funny, isn't it? That we're sitting here talking about a correction, just as we're about to see gold going going through a thousand dollars, maybe. Um, yeah. But it's it's interesting to plan ahead. I mean, I I do find that you know my performance uh, benefits from a little bit of forward planning on this, um, and you know this is maybe a good time to do that. Yeah. Well, um, y- yeah. I mean, precisely, we should be co- uncorking the champagne and celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can do a bit of that in Canada, you know. That well, I'm I think be getting it, we're going to the PDAC next week, which is the Prospectors Development Association of Canada's mining conference in Toronto next week. And I think there's a good chance that is when we'll see $1,000 gold. Yeah, it's going to make it kind of hard to trade these markets, you know, if we're all sitting there or standing there, uh, you know, going around the booths. And, you know, meantime, the gold price is shooting up and we can't get back to our computers. Um Perhaps I should leave a lot of orders in before I go away. You don't have to think about that. All right, Mike. Well, uh, always a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, thanks very much for coming coming on, and uh, I'll see you in Toronto. I'm looking forward to it, darling. Commodity Watch Radio is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee for Mindsight, with music by Manolo Camp. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our bulletin board at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com.